covering today, I want to make sure first everybody knows, whether they're here in person, online, or listening later on, that we understand Ayurveda is a science and an art of living and well-being. It is a science and art that we can apply to ourselves only with proper levels of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So if we don't have proper levels of knowledge in the art and the science, what we think is going to be good for us could be detrimental to us. Mm -hmm. So we want to really study well, and we want to make sure that we always caution ourselves before advising others that we truly know whether or not we are an authority in the subject. And before we give ourselves any type of treatment or modification in our own health, that you have either determined you are an authority in this subject, are well studied, well researched, or you have cleared it by your family doctor. <coughs> etc. But today we're going to be talking more about the fundamentals, the advanced fundamental principles of Ayurveda. So let's go ahead and turn to slide three in your handout. And I want to go over first a quick pre-quiz before we go into a pre-crash course, okay? So first, let's ask ourselves, do we know the basic principles of the Panchamahabhutas? So the Panchamahabhutas are our five elements, and we know that we have fire, water, air, ether, and earth, right? Then we want to ask ourselves, what... Panchamahabhutas make which of the three doshas? Mm -hmm. We know that doshas are the three physiological forces that control every function of the human body. This was a really hard concept for me to grasp in my training because I come from a medical, Western medical background, and for me to be told that Pitta controls my metabolism, I was like, I'm not sure about that concept yet. And it took me a long time to overcome my preconceived notions and my pre-training because I felt that I knew more because of Western medicine. But Ayurveda is a beautiful complement and makes complete sense when integrated. So when we look at these three doshas, we understand that they control every physiological function of the body. What are our three doshas? Vata Pitta Kapha. And what elements constitute Pitta? Fire, fire, and fire and water. Kapha. Earth and water. Earth and water. Vata. Air and space. Air and space. Beautiful. So we're going to take a look at these basics before we begin. So we discussed our five Panchamahabhutas. We have our cooler elements, our wind and our ether. Mm -hmm. We have our fire element, our earth element, which is grounding and stable. And then we have our water element. So when we take a look at how those combine, we learn that the combination of these elements make up the characteristics of the doshas. So when we take a look at Pitta, the first thing we have is fire. 
combined with water. So when we go back to our basic anatomy and physiology of Ayurveda, we understand what the function of Pitta is. Now what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be going past this Vata Pitta Kapha concept and looking at all of the subdoshas within each. Okay, So we know that Kapha is earth and water. We understand earth is very heavy, dense, stira, guru. We understand that water has the capability of many physiological functions within the body, but when we combine these two, we understand kapha at the elemental level. Mm -hmm. So I always go back and harp on the elemental constitution of each dosha because that gives us the ability to understand. So let's just take a look at the qualities of Vata again as a review. So Vata we know is the physiological function in the body of movement. Movement of everything from the heart rate to the breath to the nerve impulses to the movement signals for the musculoskeletal system, to the movement of the gut in peristalsis, swallowing, sneezing, flatulence, urination, menstruation, ejaculation, all of these are movement related and Vata needs to be functioning correctly. Now we understand that Vata is air and space. Think about air and space for a moment. They're very light, they're minute, they're mobile. So that's where we come and we understand the qualities of Vata. And we've learned in our basic anatomy and physiology course of Ayurveda that the qualities first, we have Ruksha. And Ruksha is dry, as well as we look at the element of roughness. When we take a look at the element of Vata, we understand that one of its gunas, gunas are the qualities, is lagu, which is light. Mm -hmm. So air and space, there's not heavy density involved. <clears throat> we understand that Vata is shita, cold. We understand that it is kara, rough. We understand it's sukshma, minute, as well as we understand that it is the guna of chala, which is mobile. So when we think of vata and we look at the inner translation within our bodies, the microcosm, and outside of our bodies, the macrocosm, let's take a look at the weather. So right now it's been cold. Shita. Has it been dry? Well, it's been raining where we're at right now, which is more water element. However, the cold seems to have trumped all the other qualities when I look at a Vata-constituted person, a person with a Vata-prakruti. In this weather being cold, I see their skin beginning to dry, mm -hmm. their bowels becoming dry. Mm -hmm. 
their hair and nails becoming dry. They're not demonstrating the water element in our current rainy season. However, if we look at a different prakruti or constitution of a person, take myself for instance, I'm more pitta and kapha. So I am becoming more prone in this weather not to dryness. So I don't have dryness in my body. I'm pitta and I'm kapha. This is moist and dense and hot. Even in this cold weather, I'm still hot. Not overheated, but hot. <clears throat> Whereas this wetter rain is translating in my body as moistness. And where's the home of kapha, we'll look at it again, is and the head and neck and chest region. So when I'm doing my pranayama so then I'm noticing the need for an extra tissue or so. So we have to make sure that we're taking into consideration the macrocosm outside of us and what it's doing internally. So when we take a look at vata, we typically associate winter as the potential of aggravating vata. Well, only in a vata prakruti per se, or a vikruti of vata. Somebody who's vata imbalanced may become more vata imbalanced in the winter. Whereas somebody who is a kapha prakruti or a kapha vikruti is more likely to become kapha imbalanced in the winter. But if you look at the seasonal changes Winter time is where we accumulate kapha. Even though we're still being interacted with the environmental cold, kapha is also cold. So we really want to have a firm grasp of all of these concepts. Mm -hmm. So when I finished my doctorate, as well as now it's being required in a lot of the certificate programs for Ayurveda, we learn what are called shlokas. <coughs> shlokas are recited oral membranes of the principles of a lot of different sciences, but particularly in Ayurveda, it's an oral tradition. So today I want each of us to learn the shlokas for the vata, pitta, and kapha elements. So the first shloka, if you take a look at the slide <coughs> and the notes, we have Patra, Ruksha, Lagu, Shita, Kara, Sukshma, Chalo, Anilaha. So when we take a look at this, we have all of the elements. Ruksha. Let's just mm -hmm. say Ruksha. Make sure that we're saying it correctly. Ruksha. Lagu. Lagu. Shita. Shita. Kara. Kara. Now remember when there's a K and an H, there's a slight K. 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 But we won't go too far down the slide of Sanskrit pronunciation. Sukshma. Sukshma. Chala. Chala. So when we have the shloka, we have Tatra, Ruksha, Lagu, Shita, Kara, Sukshma, Chalo, Anila. Let's say that together very slowly first. Tatra, Ruksha, Lagu, Shita, Kara, 
Sukshma, Chala, Anila. Okay. Again. Tatra, Ruksha, Lagushita, Kara, Sukshma, Chala, Anila. Now, there are different pronunciations depending on where you are studying and how you are pronunciating things. But you do want to be mindful of the pronunciation to the best of your knowledge, to the best of your ability. Um, people who are well studied in Ayurveda should have at least a firm grip on how the words are said. But depending on who your teacher is, where on the globe, particularly what dialect of Indian language they speak, you want to be mindful that there are a lot of variations as well as spelling variations. The reason why you'll find so many spelling variations is there is written word and then there is Sanskrit. So for instance, when you have a CH, when it's written in Sanskrit, you may only have a C with a special denotation over the letter. So just take that into consideration. Also, when you see people write O-O rather than a U with a line over it, it's the same thing. So it's more like phonetics versus Sanskrit. Okay. All right, let's go over that again. The gunas of Vata, the shloka. Tatra, Ruksha, Lagushita, Kara, Sukshma, Chalo, Anila. Let's do it again. Tatra, Ruksha, Lagushita, Kara, Ruksma, Sukshma, Chalo, Anila. When I went through my doctorate program, we had about an hour and a half of shloka requirements for our final. We had to stand in front of the teacher and they would say, give me the gunas of vata. And you just had to have them all come out. And this is more of a matter of just giving you a flashcard to remember all the qualities. Because the more you can ingrain the qualities, the more the nutrition makes sense. Mm -hmm. The more the herbology makes sense. Yes. The more the prakruti, vikruti, and opposites or similarities make sense. Are the shlokas used for any other purpose other than academia? Like, like, just academia. academia. It's not something you would use wouldn't sing it in a song okay <laughs> just, just ask it <laughs> i mean if you really you want to make a watha song you could. <laughs> a watha song yeah so the the tatra and the anila at the end what the introduction it's just like it. okay yeah. and in, in the saying that watha is and got it, it you know and, okay uh, yeah. i figured it's that so melodic yeah so one more time the definition of shloka it's a phrase, a mm, way of passing down the oral tradition. Now let's take a look at Watha in the anatomy aspect of it. For some of you, this will be review, but we really want to know where is the home 
of Wata and each dosha, where does it initially begin to accumulate in the body? So we understand there's five different levels of disease. In the beginning stages of disease formation, the dosha will become aggravated or accumulated in the place of its home within the body first, typically, unless it's an external trauma, etc. So when we understand fully where the home of the dosha is, when we start to see symptomatology or changes in our own bodies, let's say we're doing our yoga sadhana of asana, and for some reason, our backs are really bothering us. First thing that comes to mind, vata. Okay. If I have my sadhana and I'm trying to do bastrika pranayam and I have snotty nose, immediately kapha mm -hmm. because that's the home of it. So we want to catch these things within ourselves when it is starting at the accumulation phase within the home of that dosha, not after it spills out past its home into the rasa, mobile, becoming mobilized by vata and moving to other locations in the body. Okay, <coughs> so remember that it always accumulates in the home and that's where you want to catch it first before it spreads out into other areas of the body where it does not naturally accumulate. Mm -hmm. So with Watha, we understand that the main sites, the first one is the colon. So the colon is where we start seeing our symptoms of gas and bloating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In Ayurveda, the term for colon is pakkwashaya. Okay, so we know that when we have colon symptoms, what are some other colon symptoms of vata? Constipation. And constipation needs to be differentiated between vata constipation and kapha constipation. So kapha constipation tends to be more thick, heavy, and slow. Guru, manda, stira, and vata, we see completely different set mm -hmm. of constipation symptoms like dry, hard, <laughs> rabbit-like pellets with hard pain sometimes and gas and bloating. So why is this important as yoga practitioners? Because good yogic practitioners understand in order to cultivate higher levels of prana, in order to move into those higher levels of consciousness, the body must be established first. Mm -hmm. So when we're in malasana pose and we're kindly reminded that we should have hopefully had a defecation prior to our yoga practice mm -hmm. upon awakening in our perfect world, we want to ask ourselves, what dosha 
is out of balance. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when we also take a look at Vata, one of the other homes of Vata is Guda, which is the rectum. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's right along with our colon mm -hmm. and our shroni, our pelvis. So, so far we haven't left the pelvis. Mm -hmm. We're still in the pelvis. We also have our low back, which mm -hmm. is going to the posterior portion, our kapi. When we take a look at the rest of the home of Vata, we start moving into the legs, the thighs, the sakti, but we also see symptoms in the ears. So the home of Vata also resides in the ears. That's a long distance from our pelvis. But this is important because as yogic practitioners, beyond asana, we're trying to maintain also our sense organs. When the sense organs become altered, our perception of the world becomes altered. Our incoming data is not as fine and perfected. So symptoms of Vata moving to its home location, the ears, we would start seeing things like ringing of the ears, mm -hmm. that buzzing sensation dryness in the ears, okay? Whereas if we take a look at the ears from a different standpoint of dosha, how about if we have excessive cerumen in the ears, excessive earwax, that would be a kapha imbalance, okay? All right, now we also want to understand that the home of Watha resides in the bones, mm -hmm. all the bones. But more importantly, we see symptoms usually begin in the lower portion body. So knees, thighs, feet, ankles. So when we're looking at what that we want to remember the bones and then also our sense of touch. So the sense of touch is very important when we're looking at our senses, our input of information. How do we treat our sense of touch? And is our sense of touch at its most optimal functioning? I mean, how many times do we wake up in the morning and ask ourselves, is my sense of touch appropriate? <laughs> is my sense of touch healthy? Well, let's take a moment to ask, why would our sense of touch become deranged? other than Vata. So when Vata is deranged, how does it affect our sense of touch? We start seeing things like numbness, tingling, and abnormal sensations, pain mm -hmm. sensations also. But what do we do to ourselves to change our perception of touch in a not healthy way? Withdrawal from other people. Complete withdrawal from any sensory touch can cause an abnormality, or it can be a restorative measure as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I find that typically people have too much or too little touch. So when we have too little touch, that can be a good thing, a withdrawal of the senses, so that when the touch is there, it's more enlivened, it's mm -hmm. more perceived. But sometimes when we have no sense of touch or very little touch stimuli, when you receive small amounts of touch stimuli, 
it's aggravating. Mm -hmm. It's sensory overload. Mm -hmm. What are some examples, though, of abnormally high sense of touch in what we do to ourselves to alter our sense of touch? Well, we overstimulate it with um, physically with chemicals and with different, you know, products and... So that's a good point. One thing is care of the skin. And we learned in Ayurvedic Lifestyles, if you haven't taken that class yet, the process of self-abhyanga in the mornings. Applying oil to the skin in the mornings. Not perfume. Mm -hmm. Not chemicals. Mm -hmm. Every chemical in every single one of your products is absorbed transcutaneously. It goes directly into your system. So we want to look at what we're putting on our skin. However, if we don't properly oil our skin or have proper oleation, internal snigdha or um, snehana, excuse me, as well as external snehana, oiling of the skin, the skin becomes dry and the perception is altered. Mm -hmm. Think of dry cracked hands. Mm -hmm. The sense of touch is not going to be the same. But also think of skin that has become dehydrated. Skin that has become altered in the way that the sense of touch is not perceived properly. But what about abuse of that sense organ or abnormal use of that sense organ? Mm -hmm. Who knows anybody who's a constant of touching, 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 themselves. So let's take, for instance, a dog. Okay. There are some dogs, for whatever emotional reasons, always want to be on touching or touched mm -hmm. that's not necessarily a healthy demonstration and there are some people who have an abnormal attachment to the concept of being touched mm -hmm. or touching themselves now that could go into a whole nother discussion <laughs> but we want to take a look at how we're using our sense of touch in our daily lives and how does that reflect upon the dosha of vata and the sense organ of touch. Receiving touch, translating touch, understanding the importance of touch. I loved reading years ago about the um, studies that were done about just hugging physical human contact and how it's a natural antidepressant to stimulate levels of appropriate dopamine. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be human touch mm -hmm. contact. Mm -hmm. It could be a cat, mm -hmm. a dog. They okay. say that. You yeah. know, people who have pets, dog, even fish, Yeah, if they, you know, look at them, well, their yeah. stress level goes down, yeah. heart rate goes down. So we want to really look at that sense of touch, but we want to understand that when there's an abnormality in touch, 
there is a component of Vata being involved. And that abnormal levels of Vata in the body can translate into abnormal perception of touch, as well as abnormal desire or abnormal attachment to the sense of touch. Okay. Now we also take a look at the aspect of Wata and what does it do. So this should be review from people who have taken basic anatomy and physiology of Ayurveda. So when we look at Wata, we touched upon how it is related to the sense of touch, but Wata supports sense organs as a whole. There's a lot of movement, receiving, sending, and translating signals when it comes to sense organs. But it is also responsible for our ability to speak, the quality of our speech, okay, the quality of the voice. When the voice is dry, raspy, crackling, or weak, we know that Wata is involved. Whereas we would understand the opposite. If the voice is very deep and maybe obscured by mucus, that hoarse, heavy, not hoarse as in dry, but that heavy voice is more of a kapha influence. Now, when we take a look at Watha, we also understand that it's responsible for breathing. It's responsible for heart function. It's responsible for memory and mind functioning. It's responsible for sneezing, yawning, hiccuping, burping, all of that movement of vata within the body. So what's a sneeze? Other than a stimuli of the cilia and the hairs and causing you to expel, it is a function of vata. Air is moving. A burp, air is moving. Flatulence, air is moving. Whereas when we look at functions like enthusiasm, that has a lot to do with vata. Enthusiasm. When we look at vata, we understand that it is responsible for waste elimination. Not only peristalsis of the intestines, but also elimination through urination, defecation, flatulation, ejaculation, menstruation, as well as childbirth. So when we look at these sub-doshas of vata, it'll become even more important to understand what is happening within my body. Why is my body not quite functioning just right? Well, who wakes up in the morning and asks themselves, is my body functioning optimally? We all should. And the first thing that we see upon awakening is, how do I feel? Do I awaken with enthusiasm? Do I awaken with zeal? And passion? Do I awaken tired, cranky, discontented, face straight into my phone, constipated with bad breath? Mm -hmm. We need to understand that that should be a point of self-reflection and self-study immediately. Mm -hmm. Immediately. When we get up in the morning, all 
function should be intact. And if not, let's say I wake up in the morning and one of my elements are not working in the way I know that they should. I ask myself, what did I do the day before? What element did I affect? Was I up too late? Was I out in weather? Did I eat something that clearly has affected my wata, pitta, or katha? And what food item was it? Well, I need to know, is cheese wata aggravating or katha aggravating? We know it's katha aggravating. And even down to the self-study, yoga is very prized for its encouragement of disciplined self-study. All the way down to what time did you wake up? What time did you have a bowel movement? And what did that bowel movement function like? That tells a lot about what's happening in your internal system. And we should study it with great delight. This is intense. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Sheldon, right? <laughs> because when we study the function of our gross physical body, the Anamaya Kosha, only then can we have those more optimal layerings out into the pranamaya kosha, maramaya kosha. And when we look at the definitions and the concepts of insanity today, we will see that bowel movement in the morning is important to reflect upon because it tells you what your body is doing and what you're doing to your body. Okay, so... Let's do a crash course review on Wata imbalance, okay? Everybody is feeling comfortable with these concepts so far. Okay, so Wata imbalance, we understand where it resides and what its qualities are. So the first thing we see is the word dry. Dry hair, dry nails, dry skin. Dry eyes, dry mouth, dry mucous membranes. Where are our mucous membranes? Eyes, nose, mouth, entire gastrointestinal system. Stomach, small intestine, large intestine, colon, rectum. Okay, so if we have dry cracked lips and dry stools, well, we know we've got Watha going out of control. We have things that are now air-related, because remember, Watha is space and air, dry and cold. So we have symptoms of gas, bloating, constipation, and air-related things like gurgling, belching, pressure, and pain. We have also pain that begins to manifest in its home. First and foremost, hip and back pelvis, lower extremities. So we start seeing things like back pain, hip pain, knee pain, ankle pain, foot pain, pelvis pain, and then the sensations that ensue like sciatica, numbness and tingling, particularly in the lower extremities that maybe are not related to a nerve root dermatome. But then we also can see that Watha will move upward, out of its home, but also to its home. So dizziness, 
vertigo. We do understand that Watha plays a role in the sense organs, but it also has a home in its ears. Mm -hmm. So vertigo is related to the ears. All right. We also see things like poor coordination, and we'll see when we get into the subtypes why that coordination plays a role. And then we see cold, cold hands, cold feet, cold to the bone. I mean, have you ever been so cold that you felt like your bones were cold? Mm -hmm. And where does Watha reside? In, in the, the bones. And then we also see it in the voice, a dry, harsh, weak, crackly um, type of voice. Okay? And we want to remember these when we start getting into our subdoshas. So let's take a moment to take a, about a two-minute break. Um, get up, move around. I want to do a little bit more break and move around today because this information is just going to be 